Today, I have several acquaintances joining me, and we have lots of fun topics to discuss today. So let's get started. My topic of today is the upcoming anniversary of the ADA, and I wanted to talk about what I know about the history of the ADA and what it's meant in my life. Um, so the ADA was first passed on July 26, 1990, when George W. Bush was president. This piece of legislation was put into law as in an effort to try to level the playing field for disabled workers and students to get a fair shake in life out there. And um, although it did do that, from what I understand, I've actually talked to some people who told me that they found it actually created a lot of barriers for them in their struggle because they had, through their own, you know, uh, fortitude and um, brilliance as overcomers and self-achievers, they had found their own workarounds, and then when this law was put into place, it put restrictions in their way that greatly complicated things for them. And so, so when I wanted to originally do this project, I reached out to like all kinds of people. I was like, hey, who wants to do a video with me talking about the upcoming anniversary of the ADA? And at first, everybody's like, yeah, that sounds great, right? But then when I was reaching out to everybody to get their individual stories on the ADA, Nobody was getting back to me, and when I finally got a hold of one of them, and she's the one who told me about her experience with the ADA, and that it really didn't help her. And she, she's like, um, she, she's, I don't know, her son is about my age, so I think she's probably 20 to 30 years older than me. So she's been walking this walk longer than me as a blind American, and so I have great respect for her. And when she told me about how she saw her world change as a disabled American, someone who'd been an adult, a disabled adult before that law was passed, and then someone who was still a disabled adult after that law was passed. She just didn't feel like the law really helped her. Um, and so I, find, kind of, I found that kind of shocking at first until I thought about it, and then I realized how true that probably is. Um, and... And like I said, I was really shocked because at first when I suggested this project, everybody was excited. But when it came right down to it, not a single person was willing to step forward with any individual stories that they had. Um, and in 2004, I actually reached out to the ADA for help on a huge matter in my life. And they literally told me that they couldn't help me. And I thought, what good is the ADA? You know what I mean? Um, Anyway, so that's my story about the ADA. Um, would anybody else like to comment about the ADA? Um, I'll go. Okay, Leon. Um, well, in my, um, since I've only been blind, you know, going on six years this year. Matter of fact, it just, I just made six years being blind the other day. Um, I come to find out that a lot of people just don't know the law either, you know, especially in school. A lot of instructors and staff don't know the law. Mm. And as you try to explain it to them, it like it goes in one ear and out the other until you threaten a lawsuit, and then that's, then that's when they want to get on board with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's been mine since I've been in school. What's really crazy is when you try to talk to lawyers and explain the ADA to them, and they're mm. clueless on it, so mm. you don't, can't find a lawyer to back you when you go to sue one of those establishments. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yes, that is very discouraging when you feel like you have to find someone that specializes in order to um, sustain your own individual rights just as anyone else. It can be very frustrating. I've had to do the same myself. Um, would you like to discuss that, Kayla? Um, just, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you know, I just went out of my own way to want to make sure that I could understand my own rights as an individual and that was challenging to find someone who was updated on the laws because if you are not informed, these laws are updating and amending uh, almost right before our noses. And if you're not being diligent on keeping up on the current events, you may not even know laws that have been amended and that are applicable to you. But you know what makes it worse is this. Those that do know what these laws are, some of them are 
the way I call it, really cheeky and will try to put a large price on helping you get where you need to be. So they tend to want to charge you more than should be fairly charged to get the law to give you whatever you need for whatever situation it may be in. And, and that is hard. And to me, that's corruption because nobody should be able to try to charge a disabled person for the tools that they need to make their schoolwork accessible or their work environment accessible to them. You know what I mean? And people like that who try to strong arm and intimidate disabled people into backing down and going away or into like giving them more than they, than they deserve to accommodate us, it really irritates me. Yeah, I know a friend of mine that just went through that. I had a friend of mine that just went through that not too long ago. And she lives in um, Michigan. And when she tried to get the um, ADA to help her, she found herself high and dry. As a matter of fact, in that part of Michigan, the ADA is no longer there. They left. So I'm like, this really bites. Um, but that's what happened. And I thought that was, you know, that's really not helping her situation at all. But this is what she's dealing with. And she's like, right now, ready to leave her home state because of what went down. And it just don't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, you said that was in Missouri? Nope. Michigan. Michigan? Mm-hmm. Um, does anybody else have any stories regarding this that they'd like to share? I mean, I have, I've gotten on several instructors at, and since, since I've been in college, you know, uh, especially like in the fall of 2019, my chemistry teacher, he just didn't want to, he just didn't want to follow the rules until I had to just say, screw it and go and go report him. You know, and I think they they kicked him out the school for that. You know, I mean, I'm, I know I was. I think I was his first and only blind student that he ever came across. And I'm not mm -hmm. going to back down because some some teacher just doesn't want to do his job. You know, there's mm -hmm. other teachers that are that'll get on board besides you. But right. you know, it's just people like that that just don't want to. They just don't want to do it. You know, it, it seems like I'm a burden to you. But when you sign them to be a teacher. You took that responsibility of you're gonna you got to take students, you know, all kind of disabilities and everything. Not just, you know, everyone's everyone is different. But a lot to to some teachers that they, they don't want to take on the, the task of doing that. And that's what makes blind folks scared of going of going to school. I apologize for interjecting, Leon, but uh, I I 100% concur. I went to a small university. Fortunately, I had mostly positive experiences, but it is sad how hard it is to, you know, you have a lot of thoughts here, so let me process them. <laughs> um, it's very hard as an individual when you do not have a strong disability services to help you advocate for yourself. I feel so many times that, especially the um, you know, uh, secondary experiences and uh, secondary experiences in high school are not preparing students to self-advocate for themselves when they hit post-secondary education, and that is a problem. And then on the university level, if you do someone there that you can go to and that will strongly support you, such as in the disability service, it can make life miserable. And I find that. Um, that is where things really need to be addressed is that schools really need to focus on starting to have a strong disability community for their individual walks of life, number one, and especially to advocate for those who are not blind and having those individuals in those services that are actually educated on current technology and current um, you know, the current ADA rules so that that way 
they, for someone who could not advocate themselves, they can stand up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, can I tell you my experience I had with one financial aid person last year? You know, she really upset me. You know, when I walked through the door of the financial aid department, she was basically saying, you know, who's here with me to help? I'm like, oh, ma'am, I don't need help. I just need, well, I need help. I don't need anybody here to, to be with me. I just need some information. You know, just tell me what, I need, what documents I need to bring for, for my financial aid. And she was trying to, you know, beat around the bush. I'm like, ma'am, please just give me, I just need basic information on what I need to bring. I can go get it right now or bring it back later on in the week. It just give it to me. And how she was just treating me like I needed, you know, like I needed somebody there to just assist me. I'm like, no, I don't need no aid here. I just need you to you know, tell me what I need to bring, you know, and how much I'm going to get in financial aid for this upcoming semester. That's all I needed. And she was just trying to beat around the bush and, and just stall for something because she didn't want to do it. That is very frustrating. I've experienced situations like that in and outside of the school setting where people look at you like you are not independent because of they feel that you need to have a care driver with you or because you do have someone cited accompanying you, they automatically look around you and talk that you like you are not competent or intelligent enough to handle your own situations. And that is something that very much needs to be educated on. And I believe that all of us are really striving to educate others about that. If we say that we can be in ourselves, then we can. And we just need to step up and prove that more and more every day like you did, Leon, educating her and showing her and opening her eyes to say, ma'am, I do not need that type of assistance. And it's very frustrating, but the more that you do it, the more you're going to show people out in the community that individuals who are blind or visually impaired are competent and intelligent to take care of their own needs. You know, it's really, here's my view on it. So people who come from other countries right, who don't speak English, what happens when they go to school? They are accommodated. They are given the tools they need to succeed. And all we're asking for is similar accommodations and similar tools to succeed. We're just normal human beings who happen to need different tools to succeed, you know? I agree. But it also depends on what country. We're also very fortunate in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because those resources are there, we shouldn't have so much trouble getting access to them in the education field and in the job field later on. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. We shouldn't I, have to fight. With current technology, there's, there's no reason why um, accommodations should not be more readily available for, for really almost any disability these days because of current technology. Now, we're oh. currently here on Zoom. I mean, in my younger days, this, this was probably not even imagined yet, you know, so... Well, that's what I'm going through now with certain departments <laughs> in my school. Because as Joetta can, I can um, she can tell you, I've been going fighting this battle with the math department for the longest. Oh yeah. And um, to the point, I've come up with different solutions, and it's just you have different um departments in the school that just didn't want to accommodate. You know, all I'm asking you to do is, you know, have my my algebra teacher print out my work. Since math does not work well, I mean, Jaws does not work well with math. I keep, I keep telling them this. I'm like, all I want you to do is print out the homework, and I can give it to, to somebody. We can do it. And I just give it back. You know, I even asked them to, to take it. You know, I could take it to the tutoring lab, and the tutoring lab didn't even want to do it, help me with it. They came up with so many excuses, like, oh, we, we're so busy. When I, look, when I looked around, even though I can't see I'm like, it's only one person in here that's, that's doing work, and they were doing English work, not math work. How come y'all can't just designate somebody in here, you know, at least for an hour so I can get my work done and turn it in? You know, and it's just, I just don't understand what was so hard about that. And my ADA department at the school, is, they're, they're trying their best to do it, but we need more, like you said, Kelly, we need more voices. You know, that's why I don't understand why the NFB in Houston doesn't stick up for us here. I just don't understand that. They're more worried about, you know, potlucks and going on events and trips than worrying about our rights. I don't know about the NFB and other states or cities, but the one in Houston is that they just don't care about that. And well, I'm really trying know, to advocate for that too. Leon, I'm a member of the NFB and I feel that education and access to fear and 
fair and equal education is very important. So that's one reason why I started my channel. Um, see, the thing with the NFB is they've got so many, you know, pots in the fire. You know, they've got so many things going on. And those of us who are men NFB members, I mean, as an NFB member, I feel it's my place to do my part where I can. So I'm using my channel to try to educate the world on these topics, right? Um, I, mean, and I, understand, I, I understand that, um, yeah. Becca, but I'm saying the one, the, the chapter, the, the, the Houston chapter is what I'm talking about. They don't really advocate for rights, you know, for blind rights here because mm -hmm. um, I've been fighting, again, I've been fighting more than just with school. I've been fighting with our paratransit here too. Mm -hmm. You know, they think like, they think, you know, we don't know what we're talking about. And how you gonna tell them what's best for me and you're not visually impaired, you're not even disabled. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm telling them what, what needs to work best for us. And if our, you know, our paratransit is called Metrolift, you know, as the fourth largest city in the world, it should be one of the best. In the, I mean, not, I mean, not best in the world, fourth largest, but fourth largest in the country. It should be one of the, one of the top. And it's mm -hmm. not, it's ran like, it's run 20 years ago. You know, technology has changed so much in the last 20 years. They still ran like it's, you know, like it's one back in the, in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And that's sad. All the tax money that people spend, this, you know, for their family members to, to get treated like this. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't work like that because in Austin, you know, the, the way they, their transit is, is, is leaps and bounds over the one in Houston. And I don't understand why. I've experienced that myself, Leon, coming from a smaller town in Indiana, and now I live out here in California. California is so widespread, don't get me wrong, it has its own fair share of issues in the transportation, but it is light years better than the small town I'm from. I'm able to walk out right side of my home here, walk less than a half a mile, and I'm at a bus stop. When I lived in my hometown, you'd be lucky if a bus came by once an hour, and it's sure the world wasn't going to tell you uh, no automated system of where stop so that you can get off yourself depending on the driver and reminding the driver and uh, that's one of the reasons that I still live where I live because out here I do that as much you know they have announcement systems uh, you know it's easier to get on the train everything is announced not only for the blind but for the sighted and um, like I said it's not perfect by any means but it's it's light years better than unfortunately a lot of small towns and I'm not trying to discriminate but I've, what I've noticed from my travels especially in the Midwest and the South it's almost like they are behind the far west and the far east coast in in uh, traveling as well as technology and they're adapting that life a lot faster. Kayla? Kayla, I moved to Arizona. I moved to Mesa, Arizona from Montana in 2015. And let me tell you, everything you just described that you're familiar with as far as transportation and all the difficulties that come with the small towns and being disabled, that's exactly what I'm like when I'm in Montana. You know what I mean? The, yes. the, we, I mean, like, like, the last 10 years I was in Montana, at least the last 10 years, we didn't have any city-to-city -city Greyhound service anymore. You know what I mean? Like, all the blind people in Montana were literally stuck in the towns they lived in unless they were willing to pay a friend or a family member or a total stranger to drive them to another city to visit their grandma or whoever. You know what I mean? Yes, that's, that's, it's very sad. It really is. I, I mean, I do understand that it's not as strong as larger cities, but got to be some way with all the money that there is in the world for things like this to be more addressed and for it to be more wide. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not, I mean, the, the, um, the paratransit in Houston is not that bad. It's just, it's the people that work for the paratransit is the problem. You know, I, I understand the drivers are, they're just swamped with, with rides every day. Good thing, you know, since since this virus has happened, they've you know, they've slowed down. But when it's up up and running like a normal day, man, they have over what seventy two hundred trips a day, and you know you have dispatch that just don't want to do their job. They don't understand. Like sometimes, especially when I'm in school, you know, my my classes might be canceled, and they don't they don't even want to send me another driver <coughs> until until my scheduled pickup time, which will be two or three hours later. 
you know, it's stuff like that. You have to under, they, have, they need compassion. Like, hey, you know, stuff happens. You know, <laughs> that that is out of my control. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know school classes were going to be canceled until I got there. But they just have attitudes and heck, and sometimes you know they'll literally schedule you to be late to to, um, to go to school or to your drop off destination. It's just I don't understand. They, they just don't care sometimes because they're not in our shoes. And yeah. I, that's why I'm trying to address too. Like, why? What's going on? And then completely sympathize with that um, paratransit out here. Definitely a lot better than a smaller town I'm from, but I, I have the same problem. You have a half hour wait time. I could be standing out in the heat for an hour with up to an hour or more with no shade and you know you got a call and hey, is my ride on the way? Okay, well, and then no one's gonna call me when they get here. I said, excuse me, ma'am, I cannot sit out here over a half hour in this heat with my dog and no one's gonna call me so that I can go be inside. And That's not I'm right. Unfortunately, that kind of transportation is what most American disabled people are expected to be, you know, deal with when they go to work. And how are we supposed to hold jobs when we're late for work all the time or we can't show up because our ride, you know, gets messed up? You know what I mean? And that's really why I'm a strong proponent for us to have more control over us scheduling our own rides and and handling our own, you know, transportation needs. Right. Well, and I'm completely uh, sympathetic to the drivers and what they have to do. I mean, they, they deal that they really don't get paid for, you know, I, I recognize that, but at the same time, there has to be a, a better way to go about the system. It really kind of just needs to be reorganized there. Unfortunately, it's such a monster. I don't really know who wants to take those things on, you know, because like I said, they're not unified. It's so individualized to each city or each county. You know, we'd almost have to get some kind of thing going where it could be nationally. But unfortunately, the money's not separated that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I've noticed, you know, um, Metro up here, they use, mostly they use yellow cabs and then they use the big, um, the big bands that, you know, but I got told them, I don't understand why y'all don't have, you know, better technology. You know, like the one in Austin, everybody, everyone is issued an iPad. You know, here they still using old GPS systems, you know, that with old roads and stuff, which, you know, they don't update or nothing. Like, I don't understand it. With all the money we are spend, you know, people are spending, I think they will expect, you know, more, you know, that, that the money's been spent well. You know, the one, you know, the one in Austin, I mean, it's leaps, again, leaps and bounds. Are you, you referring know, to their paratransit or their, yes, their um, transit overall? Um, well, the paratransit overall in Austin is, you know, as a smaller city, they're a lot, they're a lot better than Houston. Yeah. I, I just don't understand why. You know, and Houston's way, way bigger than Austin. And, you know... I understand, you know, that, you know, Houston's a bigger city. You got more ground to cover. But, you know, come on now. You know, I'm, I'm trying to give you different, you know, um, solutions to, you know, what could be fixed. Because, you know, if the system goes down here, we're, we're pretty much screwed. We're pretty much stuck until the system goes back online. That could so be ours. So does anybody have any suggestions of how these problems could be worked out? Um, yes, talking to us directly, you know, getting our say so because we're the ones that that's using this this, this program, not them. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Um, they just going, they just thinking, you know, they they going by through theories. What we um what they think we should um, want, but they need to talk to us directly, and then try to implement that. I understand some things can be done, but you can at least try. Mm-hmm. The other problem with that is this. Most of paratransit is geared by people with sight. If they choose not to listen to us and we're the ones that are actually using this. Now, there are some people that use paratransit that do have sight. But it's now growing more and more that those of us that are sighted are uh, rather blind are beginning to outdistance those with sight. So 
even if we tell them when we go to these open meetings at the transit center, uh, trying to get these guys to listen to us, that's another problem. Because even though they hear us talking, sometimes they do not put us in the um, weigh-in on the situation. They're geared more toward the ones that, quote-unquote, are cited and have to be at work every day. Like, if they're in wheelchairs but they can still see, they seems like it gives them more preference to those that are physically disabled rather than visually disabled, which is irritating. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all noticed that, but I sure have. I've noticed that somewhat because um, I said I've been late to school several times, you know, which I don't understand why when the job was said, you know what, Leon, you would have been taken straight there after this drop off, but they added two more trips just to, mm -hmm. like, just to do it. And when I called the supervisor, she basically told me she could do that. It was that's basically what, what she said. I can, because it's a, it's a shared ride with like, I don't know that, but you have other drivers that are just standing by. How come you to send them on there? Why would you send somebody that's on their way to school knowing that you're going to make me late? You just don't care. I agree and with that. When I've been I'm picked up about. from, uh, you know, school before um, and other appointments, I literally sp specified to even be there earlier than I needed to be. And it was still late. Mm -hmm. they, have, they picked up five other people at the same stop and dropped each one of them off. Before, before you got to yours. Which is fine because I was the last one. But how are you going to have five other stops? And I've clearly stated I want to be somewhere by a certain time. And you've chosen the pickup time. Oh, you guys, I got my hands up in exasperation since y'all can't see me. I'm letting you know. <laughs> you guys, I got so tired of, of being late for everything that I was scheduling my rides. So my target, my target, um, drop-off for my destination was 30 minutes earlier than I actually needed to be there. And still, dial ride usually got me there like 10 or 15 minutes before that point. So I would have been late. You know what I mean? Most of the mm -hmm. time, that's how they work. And then they, for, or they forget to pick up in the first place, which makes you really late because then you have to wait for them to pull their stuff together and dispatch another ride to you. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I know one time, um, I was supposed to be somewhere right at noon, okay? So a friend of mine said, why don't you set your ride up two hours ahead, which would make it 10 o'clock, right? So I called at nine that night and told him I needed to be somewhere by 9.45. Okay. Got it all locked in. They're picking me up at 9.15. Okay, so I get picked up. And this is normal before COVID. And they pick up six other people. Tell me why I was almost 45 minutes late. Uh -huh. And that was with a two-hour lead-in. And that's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. But yeah. that's what you put up with. And that's what I would tell them at meetings when I'd go talk. As soon as I find out there was open meeting, well, you best believe I was there. And I would talk about this. And, oh, well, man, we're working on doing that better. Okay, it's been six months since I talked about that then. And it hasn't changed. Even though now with COVID, you have to do, they have to do individual rides now. So for what I'm hearing from us all collectively is that we need to find some way on a, you know, a macular level to decide what needs to be done and figure out how it can be done on a minor level. Because as I stated before, the transit is so individually operated from city to different counties that, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, is a little involved with this money, so on and so forth. Uh, really need to do some research and find out how we could go through the proper channels to start revamping, especially 
you know, places like where Leon lives, where it is just like behind, like you're living in the night. Well, you know, also, you know, the, um, I cannot book a ride on the weekends here, which I don't, I don't understand why. They did, you know, you have to book a ride Monday through Friday. If you want to ride for, for Monday, you have to book it by Friday, which I don't understand. You act like stuff doesn't happen on the weekend to people. And, you know, again, we're so behind, you know, with the times here in Houston, it's just, it's sad. And no one seems to care. You know, again, back in Austin, you could book a trip seven days a week. Heck, you can book a trip three or four days in advance. I don't know, understand why they don't do that here. I've, I've expressed that, and it seems to go on one end out the other. You know? I completely agree. I live, on a, I live in one county, and I live very close to L.A. County as well, and so I typically have to, I have to fight to get paratransit in both places. And they just couldn't com- you know, comprehend why do you need paratransit in both counties. I live on the borderlines. I'm going to be traveling in both counties, and they both counties right next to each other. They rules, different prices, you know, so I have to, I had to learn all the different rules from both counties, even though I'm, I'm sitting right here on the borderline, you know, and then you have, you know, it's like you have to, um, can you guys hear me? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Oh, I couldn't remember if I was on mute. I had to go to the um, So it's, it's, you know, complicating, you know, and then they send you home with this big old packet. And it's like, surely not. I don't need to know every single rule in here is not applicable to me. What, what do I need to know? That's, that's not cool. And it's definitely cool. It's not cool that, you know, Leon, like you said, you can't go anywhere on the weekends, you know, at least out here I can, I can schedule the day before, you know? Well, um, and that's not that I can't go anywhere on the weekends. Is I have to, if I need somewhere to go Saturday or Sunday, I have to book a trip by Friday. That's what I'm saying. I, I just can't like something happens on, you know, to me on Saturday. You know something, and I need to, and I need to be there Monday. I can't book a trip, and you know that's what I'm saying. You have to do it Monday through Friday, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that needs to again. I start telling it needs to change because life happens, mm-hmm. and it's, for some reason they seem like they don't care. Because, like you said, Joelle, they can still see most of them, mm-hmm. and a lot of them, and a lot, and a lot of them drive. You know, they're not, they're not in our shoes. Yeah, the lack of sympathy and empathy is is there for sure. Because they unfortunately have never had to experience what we're going through. No. That's that's why, you know, like last year at my school, we did a panel with students with disabilities. And I I proposed, like, you know what? You know, I'm the only one that's visually impaired upon this stage. How about, you know, I take random students and blindfold them and, to, and then teach them how to get around as a blind person for a day. And I guarantee you they would fail. You know, and no one wants to take me up on that challenge. I, I'll tell them it's, it's an open challenge to anybody. You know, because some, some students sit, you know, they sit down and, you know, w- you know, with their legs sticking out like, dude, don't you see me coming? You know, they're, they're all on their, into their laptops or tablets. Then I trip over them. It's like, it's like they get an attitude. Like, you know, you do know, why would you sit in the, in the middle of the hall, not in the middle, but, you know, with your feet sticking out in the middle of the hallway? You know, common, common sense would be to, you know, put your feet, you know, cross your feet or something, but they just don't care. You know, yeah. you have students bump into you and just, like, really? Yeah, you know, um, other interaction with other students and their lack of empathy or their lack of understanding of our our situation as disabled people you know that can be a huge problem i've been pretty fortunate where i usually wind up where like i have an ally or a friend you know in most situations when i'm when i've gone to school or tried to go to school as a blind adult usually there's one or two students who step forward and they kind of look out for me you know Well, I, I, my thing was I've had students not even talk to me through the whole semester in, in the same class. Heck, I didn't even know their name until like, it, was time, it was time for the finals. And I, I would dress that at school. Like, really, I don't know anybody here except for the teacher. Mm-hmm. That's a doggone – it's like they're afraid to talk to me. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, like, melt or anything. Just talk. I'm a normal person just like you. I know exactly what's going on in the world just like you. 
you know, it, yeah, it amazes some it very students. Challenging I mean, in and outside of the classroom because it's almost like, you know, you have to prove your your worth to everyone else twice as hard. And I think people forget that because they tend to just look over anyone, unfortunately, who's disabled, and just be like, "Well, I can't imagine being in their life," and then they just walk off. You know, like you know, uh, a disregard and, and as Leon say, why don't you just come up and talk to me? I'd be willing to educate. If you've got questions, don't feel ignorant. Uh, well, that's how you're educated. Well, you, know? you know, as a disabled person, I'm totally, I totally agree with you guys. But as a disabled person, I'm kind of like, yo, yeah, ask me whatever you want to know. And I want to know about your life. What are you doing as a person who has sight and who has all these amazing, like, you can do all this stuff, you know? So, you know, I kind of am like that, you know what I mean? At this point, um, it's the same thing that I've been we wind up talking about in a lot of our shows that that as, disab as disabled Americans or specifically blind people, we actually have a lot of really great things to offer. So when we're in a classroom setting or in a work environment, anybody who becomes our friend or associate or, or comrade, you know, to walk through those situations with us, they're bound to be blessed and they're bound to get a lot of really good stuff from their interactions with us. You know what I mean? Well, you know. I I, you know, we're talking about how we would like to reform transportation. I feel like we should also focus on having some kind of resources, maybe even classes. Uh, now, this might not be a popular vote, but in my opinion, we need to be taught age to self-advocate for ourselves in an assertive, proper manner. Um, oh, yeah. agree. Self-advocate people oh, yeah. do need self-advocacy, yes. Well, you yes. know... And, it is somewhat has to be taught and you have to be given that confidence at an early age to speak up in a proper manner, not in a demanding way because you're entitled or anything like that. You need to sort of address what you need to others. And well, I feel know. like uh, that is missing, especially from a younger age. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a very much a sighted community being the only visually impaired is so much as Leon's saying in his experiences. And I was fortunate to have someone that taught me to self-advocate for myself and my own stubbornness to be independent. But, you know, um, not everyone has that drive. You know, they're a little more introverted or a little more bashful. Maybe some type of resources or classes way early on that could teach them what they need and to self-advocate for themselves would be extremely beneficial. Um, can I tell you my experience as, as working as a blind student and working too as a blind person at the school, you know, I've had people literally tell on tell my um my supervisor's um her her boss about, you know, she's got a blind student working in the office. I'm like, okay, what difference does that make? You know, and I've I've even they they've even tried to try to to, to um, discriminate against me. They've literally sent me a when I did my, you know, my interview, I got a letter in the mail from the schools and I was already working for two weeks when I got the letter saying they couldn't hire me because I ate one. I failed a drug test and a background check. I'm like, first of all, I didn't even take a drug test. And second of all, my background is clean. So what are you talking about? They sent the certified letter to the house saying that. And I had been already working for two weeks at that point. Wow. You know, and I still have that letter to this day. But, you know, I took it to the to HR. They said, don't even worry about it. You know, I'm like, no, I need to worry about it because you're trying to fire me for something that didn't even happen. Yeah, I you know, you verified and, that that's expunged from your record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would. That's, or, that's fear talking. That's what that is. That is straight up, straight out fear. Because whoever did that, number one, did that to screen or should I say mask what their fears about a blind person working in the office is all about. Mm -hmm. That's well, the thing was, like that. they were trying to cover themselves because they, they were getting That's what I mean. Trouble. What they did was basically smoke and mirrors their fear of blind people in the workplace. It boils down to the stereotypical crap that they've always believed. Blind people have no business in the workplace. And they're afraid of what they can or cannot do 
more than the cannot do side than anything. And since their fear is right there, this is their way of trying to get you out. And that ain't right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, being the first visually impaired student for at the, at the school for engineering, you know, I'm a, I have so many hurdles to do to go through. You know, first with the math, that's and that's just the math. Not, and this is just basic algebra. That's not. It's not to mention the trigonometry and calculus that I have to do. But you know, trying to set a path for other blind students to to, to do the engineering. Even though I won't be the first engineering student in the world, but 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 a bit, but, uh, but being the first one at, at the school is is really hard, you know. And um, being being this trendsetter, I know I had to be the guinea pig of what works and what doesn't work, you know. And we you know it's just a work in progress, and it's just so hard. And you know, I, I have the, the dean of engineering on my side. He said, "Whatever works, we can we can work through it. That's no problem." But it's just the other teachers, again, like my chemistry teacher, but my old chemistry teacher, I'm glad he's gone because, again, that jerk didn't even want to just, didn't tell me what he was writing on the board or, or, or if he was holding up a beaker or something. I didn't know. And um, I told him about that. He just looked at me crazy. And um, I just said, I just walked out the classroom and never went back. You know, and I told the math, I told the department chair, I, I'm glad they did something with that, but, you know, on top of that, how, how I've been lied to with the department chairs, saying that they're going to work on it and they never have. It's so hard to get in contact with, with the department chairs, you know? Like you said, Kayla, it's just that. You know, we try to speak up for yourself, but people just don't, they just don't care because they they're not going through it. They're not being an active listener. And, and being sympathetic and empathetic and, and going directly to the source to find out what the needs are. And that is, that is um, a big problem, for sure. Which I will touch more on later. <laughs> I mean, the way I look at this, um, it's society has heard since, and I'm going to go way, way, way back. The 1920s, when they used to put blind people in sanitariums and asylums because they didn't know what to do with them. It was like the vision switched off. They thought your brain switched off. Not about the knowledge you have or the work experience you have, but all of a sudden it's gone because you can't see. And that didn't stop the seeing. The last person they put into asylum was recently, if I remember correctly, 72. And they stopped all that when they realized we still have a working mind. And there's nothing wrong with our mind. It's just our vision. But still, they had this fear. Oh, well, she may not perform well or he may not do what he used to know how to do as accurately or as fast as he did before. Not the fact that you want to give us a chance, but you just want to totally shut it down. How is that fair? And then they wonder why, quote unquote, most blind people would get angry. Well, it ain't about that, that I found that out real quick. Some people just got angry because all of a sudden they can't do what they used to do anymore. Not the fact that they can adapt and adjust because they want to go back to their old lifestyle, but they can't because of their vision. So they get mad. Then you got others who do adapt and adjust, but they don't give us the chance to show them we did. And that's where that fear falls in. And I still say, how is that fair? How do y'all not give us the chance to prove what we know and what we can do? Am I wrong? No. No, no, ma'am. Okay. It's oh. annoying. What do you think, Becca? I, I definitely agree with you 100%, Joetta. Um, you're right on target there, Juan. 
Okay. Miss Kayla, waiting on you. Um, I concur, and I can very much empathize and sympathize with Leon going to a smaller university, although there were other visually impaired students or blind students. Um, I was the first one to kind of really go through the music program. Obviously, majority of that was not adaptable, number one of the generation that I grew up in exposed to a lot of technology before college. So I didn't really know what was available to me. That's an issue. And number two, the technology was somewhat behind there and where I needed it to be um, at that point in my collegiate studies. So, you know, I was way more advanced, you know, where I needed to be for the assistive technology. Therefore, I advocate for myself about what I needed. Well, you, you, you do have to go and address someone and find out what it is you're going to, to need, okay? Like, um, for example, what kind of studies you're going to be doing so that you can address and figure out how you're going to do things. May I also just address that not every blind person is going to the same. We are each individualized just like everyone else. Just because one person of VI does something one way, we also have to break that mold for other individuals, especially under educators and employers that just set A did those things that way doesn't mean I'm set B and I'm going to do those things the same. Yeah, can I agree with that right quick? Um, you know, my last math teacher um, for the spring of 2020 semester, you know, he was a great teacher, but he was saying, you know, I seen another visually impaired student do the math, but I'm like, what could he still see? You know, y'all lump us all together into the same category. Yes. You know, I, I got to tell him, I have, I, I'm totally blind. I, I don't see any, I don't even have light perception. I really, but I, but if you tell me what to do, I can do it. You know, mm -hmm. And I had to explain that to them, you know, there's different levels of visual impairedness. Mm -hmm. You know, some people, you know, they're visually impaired, but they still can, some of them can still drive. It's not at night, but, you know, on a bright sunny day, they, you know, you can't stop them. But once, it's, once it starts turning dusk, you know, they have to be home. You know, like I tell them that, you know, there's levels, there's different levels to blindness, you know. Again, with me, I'm more hands-on, or if you tell me what to do. But other people, you know, Zoom text, you know, it's for, you know, they probably didn't have jobs. They probably had Zoom text, and again, they can still see. And I had to explain that to him. And you're also touching on And also, Leon, you're also touching on not just someone who, you know, talking about someone who's blind. You're just talking about people on an individual level as well. Each person has... It's a learning language. Some people are visual. Some people are auditorial. Some people are tactual, visual. Right. You know, it, right. it's very important that each person realizes their set way of learning so that they can adapt not only as sighted or visually impaired. Uh, and that's very important to learn that so that you can express those needs. I need to see that with my eyes. I need to, you to explain that to me and you know, auditorially. I need someone to help me make a model so that I can touch that, you know, you have to very be very clear on what you want. And sometimes that's hard. And that's where, you know, we've talked a lot about trying to implement that self-advocacy at a young age so that you can figure out your style of learning and what you are and <clears throat> addressing those from the jump. So that way things are a lot easier, not only for yourself, but for the people who are trying to assist you. Well, you know, my counselor at the school, she was saying, you know, you know, we have so many different 3D printers, how come they're not frying them up and, you know, printing out math models? You know, I'm like, that's a good idea. I didn't even know we had that. Yeah. You know, and it's not that hard. All you have to do is sit, you know, somebody in the, in the math department can just, you know, send an assistant down there, you know, ask the teacher, you know, what, what to print out out that printer and print it out. What's so hard about that? And the it fact that can. you didn't even know that that was available to you is, is very sad. I'm glad that you do now. And see, and that's the, 
um, very much of what I, I've been talking about and what I want to talk about is number one, you have to know what resources are available to you. And that's hard to do because they're so different everywhere. You know, like you're saying, you didn't even know they had that there. That was a resource you could have been using from the start, not only to enhance your learning, but to also probably enhance your peers' learning. Maybe a model would be good for them. Sometimes, unfortunately, we have to express, hey, what's good for me is also good for the gamut. Things get done. And it's very frustrating in the moment. I, I completely understand, as I was describing my very basic viewpoints earlier of my experiences. It's very frustrating. So I just don't understand why, and it could be easily be a, why don't colleges, if you're going to, well, with open arms, quote unquote, uh, there should be a list of what technology is around, what resources, just for people who are disabled, but for those sighted individuals, because that's going to enhance their learning. As a fact, as I was just saying, each person has a way of their learning style. Mm -hmm. It's true. more or less a way of each one teach one because what they're while you're learning through a model, they're learning from you how to help another person that could be in the same position one day later on down the line. Right, or and, it may not even have to do with with sight per se. Let's say right. your your classmate would benefit from learning to actually from those three D models. Right. From a visual aspect or touching it, you know, it's, that's not just for you. And, and I, I hope maybe that could um, help, help you in the future to, to say, as I said, what's, what's good for you is good for the gander, you know, good for the goose is good for the gander kind of vibe. Uh, sometimes we have to express that so that things can be done for us. And uh, I, I hope that people can, can understand that and take that viewpoint for themselves. Sometimes we have to be creative um, intellectually, which I know we're all capable of, so that we can uh, get done what isn't what should already be given to us, number one. That's the frustrating. Sometimes you have to turn on a little charm, you know, to, to realize, uh, to open people's minds. This is not just for me. <clears throat> this is for everyone. Well, you know, um, like I told Joetta a few weeks ago, when I first started, you know, doing my basic classes, you know, it was easy since it was just reading. But once it got to more of the scientific and, and, and math, I had to, you know, I had to sit back and think, I can't approach it like I did with my other classes. You know, and I, and I had to come to that realization. And that was my, that was part of me not doing so with the math at first, because I was trying to attack it like I did with, the, with my other classes. And, you know, now you know, I'm in a whole different ball game now. And it took me a while to come to that, to that realization, like, hey, you know, with the math, with the algebra, you can't attack it like you did with history or with or with sociology. It's a it's a whole different it's a whole different level of learning now. Hmm. Uh, I would agree because if you're anything like me, I'm I'm a visual math learner. <laughs> uh, quite the conundrum, I know. Um, but uh, back when I had a little more sight, I I stood up for myself and said, look, you know, I, I need a tutor. I need someone to work with me. And somebody's going to have to figure out how to pay them. Or you don't have to find a volunteer. Because that was just the fact of the matter. If I was going to be successful and keep up with my peers, I literally met with a tutor on the days I didn't go to class so she could teach me. Because it was just not accessible. Listen to her up there on drawing diagrams and so on and so forth. Not that she wasn't a great teacher. It's just um, sometimes we do need a little more accommodation and there's nothing wrong with that. Speaking up for your mind that I need assistance is not a bad thing. That's how you're going to get through in life. No, no matter your ability or disability, you know, so that things can be larger for me and bold. And, and um, so, you know, sometimes it goes back to realizing what, what is actually available for us and your school should be helped providing those people to either come in the classroom with you or meet outside of the classroom or both? Well, that's, that, that's been the problem since I started with the algebra. Um, you know, my first algebra teacher, you know, in, in my intro to algebra class, you know, good thing it was, it was doing summer sessions, wasn't that many students in the classroom. And that's how I did my work before or after class with him. 
That's how I even did my test with him. But I don't have, you know, I've had decent, I've had pretty good teachers after that. But again, they don't have the time because a lot of them are coming from other from other campuses too. You know, and um, like you said about you know about the tutor, I've I've literally had to go to my counselor outside of school. You know, my um my Texas workforce counselor, and she said, Leon, we could have been got to um, pay pay for you for a tutor. Just find anybody that can tutor you, and we'll pay for it. You know, so that's why I'm at now with that step, with, you know, with that process. I'm in the middle of that right now. But it would have been a lot and, more convenient to know that from the jump, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Why yes, wasn't that expressed yeah, right. early I, on when you were again, expressing that you were having issues, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is my second counselor with, this, with the state because, um, you know, my other can- I didn't know I was going to, I had another counselor until the end of last year, which I was which, which pretty upset, which really upset me about that. You know, and then then they had moved. They had moved to different office buildings and everything. I didn't know, but now you know everything's. You know, it's, it's starting to line up. And again, um, I, I had to call my own M instructor. You know, he cited and he knows a bunch of people. You know, that are good at math. They can tutor me, and so he. You know, I gave him my counselor's email and and, and everything. So they're working through that process right now. All I had to do was find a. You know find what teachers good with me now. And so, you know, we can get this, get this, get this started because last semester, you know, I came up with the idea is again, give them, tell my teacher to give me the work. And instead of me being in classroom, cause I'm not really, I'm not going to learn anything, you know, cause again, what you writing up there or saying is, is going to one out the other with me, with me. All you have to, you know, just give me the work and tell me what chapters to do in the book. And I can take it to a tutor while, while class is in session. You know, and get and get the credit for that. You know, I'm like, again, like I told my counselor at school, what's the purpose of me even going to the classroom if I'm not learning? You know, I'm just I'm just wasting space. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they they had they had to understand where I was coming from, and they agreed. But then again, I had to find a tutor. I'm surprised that your school didn't go upon themselves to help you find an upperclassman. Because number one, they've already done the class. Or two, that's going to be a great learning experience for them if they're wanting to major in that field, especially if they want to be a teacher. Um, that's what I very much tried to do. And very sorry to hear that your corner at your college was not advocating for you. If you spoke up and said you needed someone, they should have helped you find someone. Well, I hope, I hope well my counselor, what she did, I'm sorry, um, Caleb. Um, but my counselor, she had to create a program for for volunteers to help me. She really had to had to had to do that, you know, get get the permission from the school to create it. And she found volunteers because they were in a, in an honor society, you know, because what they needed thirty hours each, you know. So staying with me with the, with the tutoring and, and helping me do my work, you know, that was just easy peasy for them. You know, they ain't got to go anywhere; just stay right there for you know do that thirty hours for the semester. And they got their credit for it. Right, that that's a great idea. The Which virus places would implement that? It's very much something like that at, at a you know upperclassmen who are specialized in in that major and are willing to volunteer or and or be paid uh, to assist me. And it's right there on campus. They're making excuse me making extra cash or uh, applying credits, and that's a great idea. More places definitely need to implement that kind of program. Just wish more schools were having these places set in, you know, set in position where there can be a designated advocate or group of advocates that could help blind students feel their, you know, work their way through the school, work their way through the courses, have the knowledge beforehand before to know. Uh, when these guys and gals need their uh, tutors, when they need. We do have that in my school. It, it got implemented this past semester. It's called Dream. Because yeah. otherwise they have to do what you did. It was do a startup program just for that purpose. And the only reason why I got started because I got fed up with the, with the way we were being treated. I got fed mm-hmm. up with it. I said, I want one taking it anymore. And, you know, right. my... Um, the head counselor at the school, he said, you know what, and I feel your pain since I'm disabled too. 
you know, and it, and it's called Dream. You know, disability rights, education, and and um, advocacy and, and mentorship. You know, I don't know. I did not know there was a nationwide thing, but you know, it needs to be implemented in, in all schools, in all colleges, and university. It needs to be implemented in that. That's you know, it's I'm not just for vision impaired students, it's for students with disabilities. Period. Right. It sounds like to me what we're saying is places of education need to be more open to dialogue. Somewhere yes. where not only disabled students can go, but any students and speak up for themselves or their student body and say, this is what's going on. I think this is how this could be done differently, not only to benefit myself, but other students. You'd be surprised at how much more the college experience would be enriched if this was in place. So it seems like uh, what we're discussing overall is what I want to touch on, which I already have, is self-advocacy. If you are a person who is disabled, it's very important for you to be able to express and communicate your own needs in a proper channel. Uh, unfortunately, as we've discussed, it's kind of hard to know what to do. There's not really a step-by-step -step process that is informed to most individuals. Uh, say if you're going to enter the post-secondary education, you should try to get started on these in high school. Uh, number one, figuring out how you learn. Number two, figuring out who you can talk to to advocate for yourself. If you are planning on going to post-secondary education, figuring out where you're going to apply, researching what would be available to you to attend that university or school is very important. What kind of support are you going to have? So number one, contacting a counselor at that institution, asking them questions. I contacted them saying, I am an individual who is interested in your school. What would you be able to provide to me as an individual who's blind or visually impaired? Number two, do you have a disability services at your institution that I can directly report to and talk to about issues and to work with me in order to implement the things that I need in the classroom. Those are two, I'd say the most two major components. I could even apply to work. You know, figuring out what they have available for you from the get-go is very important. And figuring out if there's someone there that you can talk to that is going to be on your side are the two most important things I feel are the most uh, beneficial things to know in order to get yourself started. If there is a disability services, making sure that you meet with them when you go on a tour or call them on the phone, talk to them. What do you do? What is your process in order for me to be involved and get the accommodations that I need so that you will know, is this going to be more on myself or am I going to have, or is there somewhere um, on the campus that you contact your disability services? and express, you know, I'm visually impaired, I want to come to your campus. I was wanting to know what your process is and how you would be able to accommodate me. What would be your process be for that? That way you would know, are they gonna contact my professors for me? That's something I have to do for myself. You should also do this plenty in advance before school if you're able. So that way you have time to meet with teachers in advance, jive if they're gonna work with you, your professors for that semester, send them a kind email. The first day after class, stop and say, excuse me, I'm so-and-so, I'm in your class. I was wondering if you'd be willing to talk with me about some accommod slight accommodations I might need. And with also the understanding that, like Leon was stating earlier, there's only so much the professors can do because of their time restrictions. Just to reiterate what I've been saying, the most important things for you to do to self-advocate for yourself is to reach out, find out what's available in your state to you, and as well as specifically finding out what specific institution you want to go to and making sure that they're going to have the support for you, such as reaching out to a disability services, and if not, figuring out how that you can speak for yourself, not only as a blind individual, but as a person. Thank you so much, Kayla. Thank you so much for joining us today on Becca's World. I really hope you enjoyed our candid conversation today. Please like, share, and hit the subscribe button. Peace out.
Thank you for watching Becca's World. Please like, share, and subscribe to my channel. It's breaking. I, I have no idea what she's saying. My computer is not keeping up with my dialogue. Let me try. How's everybody doing while we're on this little break? <laughs> Another break. <laughs> I just think it's funny as I'll get up myself, to be honest with you. How I mean, you this, this has been the hottest run we've had so far. Becca, what? your teeth look really good. Um. I can't see that. Oh, you're going to edit that out, right? Nope. Oh. <laughs> what happens the time I got to do all the talking? It messes up. I know. I had a lot of good stuff I was saying there. The whole tangent going on there. I was like, Kayla, slow down. No, there he is, <laughs> what is that, Lee? Nice. You know what? What's that? <laughs> That's the white man holding your back. They don't want you to get your message. Oh, I knew he was going to say that. The only problem is she's a white woman, so why would the white man hold a white woman back? <laughs> it's all, I'm sorry, it's you're blind. You, can't, you, you don't see color. So. I'm intimidating, Brandon. That's fine. It goes that the white man that holds everybody back. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. How funny. Blind lives matter. Yeah. That's oh, right. don't go to Leon. No. What did he say? Did he say all lives matter? Blind lives matter. Blind lives matter. Right. Yeah, and it should be all You're disabilities You're going to enter a whole matter. can of whoop or uh, worms right there. No joke. Disability lives matter. There you go. There you go. Sighted lives matter. That's well, what, about, what about people who are colorblind? What if you see in black and white? I don't feel sorry for them, though. They can still sing. Sorry. Yeah, they can sing. They can read. <laughs> oh, Kayla. I have to be holder. I'm going to excuse myself while we're on hold for a restroom break, and I will be right back. Okay, that's okay, fine. Thanks. Anybody else want to do that? Go ahead. Um, yep, I'm gone. Yeah. I went and <laughs> Give me two minutes. I, I didn't drink okay. a ton of water. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. I was late. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I got to go. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! Can I have an ice cream sandwich, sister? Yeah. Oh no! Oh my god! <laughs> I want an ice cream sandwich. 